X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday, June 18th. Today, back in the day, June 18th, 1948, the National Security Council authorized covert operations for the first time. And that same day, June 18, 1948, the United Nations Commission on Human Rights adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That declaration included the following articles. Article 7, all are equal before the law and are entitled without discrimination to equal protection of the law. All are entitled to equal protection against any discrimination and violation of this declaration and against any incitement to such discrimination. Article 8, everyone has the right to an effective remedy by the competent national tribunals for acts violating the fundamental rights granted him by the Constitution or by law. And Article 9, no one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention, or exile. Today on The Local, we'll start with your quick six news headlines. DJ Ambush is back with an interview with Marceau Michelle, founder of Black Founders Matter. And an interview with Multnomah County District Attorney-to-be Mike Schmidt. On Tuesday, current District Attorney Rod Underhill tendered his resignation. Mike Schmidt and I talked about meeting this moment. X-ray. First up, it is today's quick six. Multnomah County has been approved to enter phase one on Friday. Portland restaurants, gyms, salons, and other service businesses will be allowed to reopen on Friday, according to Governor Kate Brown. The governor noted that although cases in Multnomah County have gone up, hospitalizations have gone down. She emphasized the importance of keeping our guard up. In addition to the reopening announcement, Brown announced a new mandatory mask policy for Multnomah, Clackamas, Washington, Hood River, Marion, and Polk counties. Masks will now be required in all indoor public spaces, such as grocery stores and retail shops. Remember your masks. Brown also announced that going forward, Clackamas, Multnomah, and Washington counties, that's the metro area, will be treated as one entity, as will Marion and Polk counties. That's the Salem metro area. These were not easy decisions. Our entire ability to reopen and to stay open is dependent on whether each of us follows basic health and safety protections. Local businesses will only be able to stay open if each of us does our part. Stay home if you're sick, wear a face covering, keep six feet of distance, avoid crowds, and wash, wash, wash your hands. Your actions will determine whether your local businesses can stay open. Brown said, and I'm quoting, as a result of these decisions, the entire Tri-County region will remain in phase one for at least 21 days after June 19th before the three counties together will become eligible for phase two. I know this impacts communities and businesses in Clackamas and Washington counties, but as we reopen our state, we must recognize how interconnected the metro area is. And the city of Portland has passed its new budget. The new budget distributes $15 million from the police bureau to other city programs and initiatives. It does cut the school police, the gun violence investigatory police, and the transit police. The council voted 3-1 to one to adopt the $5.6 billion spending plan that starts July 1st. Commissioner Chloe Daly, for the second time, voted no, noting how many in the community have called for as much as $50 million to be removed from the police budget. Hundreds of people showed up to testify, arguing for a bigger shift of the city's biggest expenditure area, the police. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, before voting yes, said she believed the $50 million tally was, and I am quoting, based on nothing and hadn't seen analysis of how that amount correlated with what the police bureau does and the direction the city wants to move in. She asked the public to celebrate the budget and the moment that we're in. 
Hardesty also said developments over the next 90 days will give the public confidence that they've been heard and that police reform won't stop at the budget. Hardesty said she would like to reevaluate training and recruitment of officers and the independent police review functions. She praised Mayor Ted Wheeler and Commissioner Amanda Fritz for voting with her, and she suggested further dismantling of the police bureau could lead to legal fights with the unions. Now let's get a little deeper into this one. I've mentioned it before, but we now know that the largest COVID-19 outbreak in Oregon is linked to the Pentecostal Church in Union County. That's 236 coronavirus cases that have been leaked to an outbreak at the Lighthouse United Pentecostal Church in Union County's Island City. That's a little town near LaGrande. A video from the church's Facebook page, it's now deleted, showed hundreds of worshipers singing, dancing, jumping around during a service on May 24th, before faith communities were allowed to convene in large groups. Most of the congregants have now been tested, but the process of contact tracing has barely begun. Union County moved into Phase 2, but then the county voluntarily went back to Phase 1. Union County has only five contact tracers, so the governor sent over 10 more to aid in stemming the outbreak. To be clear... Union County has about 27,000 people. The biggest city there is LaGrande. That's where Eastern Oregon University is. Island City has only about 1,000 residents. So 236 coronavirus cases out of that church is kind of a lot. Oregon recorded 122 new COVID cases on Wednesday and one new death. Multnomah County with 34 new cases, followed by Washington, Mary, and Clackamas County. And that roughly comports to the population centers. Union County confirmed two more cases. The rest spread around the state. Protests continued in Portland as marchers took over the Fremont Bridge Tuesday night. Thousands of demonstrators flooded that Fremont Bridge, stopping traffic, posing with signs. The aerial footage is something to see. By the way, I hadn't heard protesters mention it or Portlanders mention it, but Fremont Bridge is named after John Fremont, the first ever Republican candidate for president and a slave owner. Meanwhile, downtown 1 a.m., a driver hit three protesters. Police say a driver plowed into downtown protesters early Wednesday morning and then sped away from the scene. They were able to follow the car using an air support vehicle, and the suspect was arrested near Southeast Clinton Street and 100th Avenue. The driver was 27-year-old Anthony Eagle Horse Lissandro. He was arrested for reckless driving, hash possession, and three counts of felony hit and run. Good news, none of the injuries were life-threatening. And no other arrests were made pretending to Tuesday's protests. Wednesday marks three weeks of daily protests in our town. Incoming District Attorney Mike Schmidt said a bunch of things, including he would be open to dropping charges against demonstrators. More than 275 people have been arrested during the nightly protests. Many face misdemeanor charges, such as interfering with police, disorderly conduct, and violating curfew. Everything is on the table, said Schmidt. And we talked about a bunch of the stuff on the table. That interview coming up in a moment. The new Portland Police Chief Chuck Lavelle says he plans to do a lot of listening. He was sworn in as Portland Police Chief on June 11th following the resignation of Jamie Resch. Lavelle has gone in three years from sergeant, now all the way to chief position. Lavelle laid out some of his priorities as chief, including incorporating the officers from the disbanded gun violence task force into other parts of the department. By the way, that's different than defunding them. Emphasizing community policing and working with protesters who he called change agents. For those interested in vote by mail, the town hall project plans to go live 2 o'clock Pacific time to have a national town hall on vote by mail. Congressman Joe Neguse of Colorado, Secretary of State Kim Wyman, Republican from Washington State, and U.S. Senator from Oregon Ron Wyden are going to host this thing, a virtual town hall on vote by mail. You can check it out on Facebook. The Mount Angel Oktoberfest has been canceled, but might be held as a drive through event. 
If you've been to the Mount Angel, Oktoberfest is pretty cool. Organizers are trying to picture a festival unlike any other, where festgoers dress up in lederhosen and dirndls and order takeout from their cars. The festival is usually a big fundraiser for area nonprofits. Organizers don't want the community to miss out on that funding. Organizers encourage festival lovers to continue to check their website as we near September for updates to the Oktoberfest Festival. It might include some live stream concerts, maybe German food takeout options. And in a city that is a pace setter for strip clubs per capita, strippers are planning a protest for Friday. More than 100 dancers have issued the following demands to club owners. Here are some of them. Requiring cultural sensitivity training on a regular basis for all club staff, owners, and management. Ensuring that black dancers get fair hiring opportunities and desirable shifts. And requiring owners and managers to participate in listening sessions with black dancers to learn about their experiences working at Portland clubs. Nearly 30 Portland strip clubs agreed the demands this week. One strip club still hasn't signed on. Union Jacks on East Burnside and strippers are going to gather outside there to demand an end to unfair treatment for dancers of color. The protest is planned for Friday, June 19th, the day when dancers are asked to come back to work as the county reopens. Strippers say that many clubs refuse even to audition black dancers, and many allowed them to audition but don't allow them on the stage at peak times. This week, they hope to change that with an organized protest. Kat Hollis, the organizer of the Portland Stripper Strike, said in an interview with Lamette Week, the reason this has never worked before is that we never all came back to work at the same time because technically none of us have jobs right now. It made it a lot easier to risk it for the biscuit. End quote. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Here's Emily Gilliland with what's next. DJ Ambush from Partner Station The Numbers is back with Marceau Michel of Black Founders Matter. They discuss resistance, freedom, and what makes this moment different? I am DJ Ambush of the Numbers. I'm here with one of our personalities, DJ Passports. How are you, sir? I am well and resisting. I know that's right. There are many uh, photos and videos of you resisting. I can't tell you how proud I was to see you out there in those streets. This fist fight is pumping. ours. This fight is mine. I don't know yes. who else it belongs to, but this fight is mine. If, if I'm not fighting it, no one else will. How would you describe your experience out there on the streets uh, in comparison to what you expected it? Did you go into it with any expectations? Um, okay, so I went twice to these to these protests as an observer. Okay. I went on Sunday evening to um, there was a there was a protest at Laurelhurst Park that ended up going to the precinct. Mm-hmm. And I went to that to observe and just to see what it was, see how it felt, see if like, you know, sometimes these things start to happen, but you don't know if they're, if you belong there or if it's for you, right? If it's and often, genuine. Often, or if it's genuine and often being in this body and being in this, what they call black body or being in this brown body. Cause I'm, I'm really like, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm really like, I'm starting to become anti being called black because I don't, I don't. I know for a fact that none of our ancestors called each other black. And being called black in and of itself is racist. Mm. Defining a group of people with what the word black means in the English language in and of itself is racist. So whenever someone's like, they're not racist or they don't see color, and I'm like, if you call black people black, if you speak the English language, you're racist. If you believe the word black to mean what, the, what it says in the dictionary and you believe the word white to mean what it says in the dictionary, that in and of itself is racist. That in and of itself 
is is um, something that was implanted by the other side to keep us weaker. Mm. So I'm I'm like in this place of avoiding saying black, and it's not that I don't identify with it because I identify with my community, I identify with my people. I know why I was funneled into this life and what it is that I have to do, but something something just intrinsically this time was different, and and so I went to the protests just to observe, and I observed twice, and it didn't feel like it was mine. Ooh. Like I heard all of these white voices. I saw all these white people. And even the organization of it, I was just like, it's not there yet. What we need. It's not exactly what we need. So I I was hearing stories of the protests being, feeling like they were were being co-opted by not just white people, but just co-opted by levels of disorganization, people mm-hmm. trying to prioritize their identities. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone tried to shoot a music video at one of them. We <laughs> had, uh, there's, there was a, I'm not going to name the person because apparently there's enough, uh, it's enough uh, information going on around and there's some people are handling it the bull. way they're handling it. Tell, tell that mob to pull up. <laughs> it was some bull, some bull. He definitely ain't going to pull up on my ish. He was, he's a model and he, and he's uh, been going around kneeling with the cops, putting his fist up in the air, just seizing every opportunity to be in front of the cameras Ugh. and there's just a lot like of, there's a lot of that grandstanding. Of, there it is. That's the word. There's a lot of there's and that's a and that's why that's why my voice is so important there. And I think mm-hmm. that's why there's this outpour of trust for my voice when I'm in that space because I'm aligned when I'm there. Right. Like I'm aligned and like protesting with me is an experience. It's exhausting. I'm relentless. Do you know how painful it is to die? Oh my God. Like I'm relentless. And so, yeah, there are agitators that show up to co-opt and that they are there to agitate. And it's interesting, like even with the chance, right? Like I didn't agree with the chance. What were the chance like, that you people, didn't agree? Like, was... like people saying all cops are bastards, and I'm like, we're getting off the we're getting off the subject, right? Mm. Like some of the chance yeah. I was like, and like even like I don't like people saying Black Lives Matter, and that's what I said on when I got to give a speech at the um, a couple of days ago at the end of the rally was just like Black Lives Black Lives Matter is like asking for a penny when I need a million. Mm. It's short change. And that's why I had the crowd say Black Lives are Magic. And even the last time that I, I Friday was the last day I, I was out, and I'll be back out again today. But mm-hmm. um, I made people chant Black Lives are Magic. Mm. Like saying that mm. they matter is like the least. At the, I, I feel you. It's asking I for the you. least. It's and like I, just, like, just recognizing that it's a life. I'm ashamed to keep asking for the least. I'm ashamed to make people chant for the least. I'm ashamed to make people chant Black Lives Matter because it's just like, of course they matter. They're alive. Everything matters. All living things matter. Trees matter. Everything matters. Mm. Like, like, no, understand that they're magic. Understanding that Black lives are valuable. Understanding that Black lives are important. Like, that's the stuff I need to hear. Not that just that they matter. I know that they matter. Like, and I get that we're trying to get the rest of the world and we're trying to get the rest of society and we're trying to get like, we're trying to overpower the sound of the other side. But like, 
I'm out there doing this for my own freedom. I live a hunted life. Please black, say that again. I'm a black, oh my God. queer say person. That again. No. I live a hunted life. Mm. There are people who can come into this city, who can organize themselves, who are completely devoted to killing and completely extinguishing my life. And that's a perfectly fine political view in this in the, in the world they're currently living in. That's not going to work. And while we have this momentum, I understand exactly what you're saying. While we have this momentum, let's not take any half measures. It's and, com- and, and just and, and we started this as Black Lives Matter, but it has to evolve. It has to evolve to what we really mean. And Black Lives Matter is not what we really mean. It's just it's just like because we're so used to white society only giving us the crumbs for the table black black lives matter is asking for another crumb we need multiple seats and multiple plates and we all need to eat and that's why that's why the other message is like like there's so op- there's so much outrage over the lives that have been lost but i need that same outrage over the lives that are still around you yeah and that's that about that and that is that about that. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, love you, man. Thank you so much. I love you, too. Thank you so much. I love everyone that listens to this show. I appreciate everyone that is aligning with mm-hmm. the truth. Like, aligning with the ultimate truth. Realizing that black lives are all of our lives. Thank you guys for tuning in. Please, make sure you follow... DJ Passports at DJ Passports on... at Marceau Michelle mm-hmm. is my main page. DJ Passports is for but and like right now, or at Black Founders Matter. Like what there we you, go. You know, I'm going to tell you something really special that I've not really said in public. Um, and this will be a good way to close our interview. Like my Black Founders Matter fund this week raised forty thousand dollars for a black led startup in two phone calls. And we're investing it for the first time. So I'm making my first investment this week. Wow. Amazing. The tide is changing. Amazing. Keep up or be left behind. There it is. There it is. Mike Schmidt talks with Jefferson Smith about current District Attorney Rod Underhill's announcement of his early retirement, making the most impact in this moment, and creating real public safety. Mike, you there? Good morning, Jefferson. How are you doing this morning? Good, man. I'm doing well. When did you first learn that Rod Underhill was in fact stepping down and would not serve out his term? Uh, Monday morning, uh, Rod sent me a text and said, hey, you got time for a call? And uh, <laughs> I got on the phone probably around 9 or 10 in the morning, and uh, and he let me know that he had taken the weekend to consider this moment uh, and this point in history and that he decided that uh, it was time for him to move on. What was your relationship prior to that phone call? Had he come out and supported your opponent? Did he stay neutral in that? How much interaction had y'all had? You know, Rod and I have known each other uh, for for a long time now, over a decade, because uh, I was in the office. Uh, he was one of my supervisors, and then I left in 2013. Uh, and he's been on my commission, the, the Criminal Justice Commission. He was appointed to that. So we've been working together for a long time. Uh, he did support my opponent in, in this election. Um, so, you know, <laughs> that always uh, creates a different level 
uh, of interaction. But, uh, you know, since, uh, since I was elected, Rod called me uh, right afterwards to congratulate me and said he'd do whatever he can uh, in the transition. Of course, that was when he was intending to finish out his term uh, to December 31st. Um, but then when he called me again on Monday, um, again, just said, whatever, whatever I need, he will, uh, he'll help to, to get me to make this as smooth as possible. What does transition planning look like in district attorney's office? How many new lawyers you bring in? How much planning is there? I have some idea of what it means for a governor's office. Uh, I've been involved in that process before. But what is it like? What do you have to do for a district attorney's office? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> a couple days ago, I would have told you, well, Jefferson, I've got six months. <laughs> it's going to be great. I'm going to get all these people together. Uh, you know, so it still is that. Uh, it's just uh, now I have six weeks to, to come in. And, and there's some big things uh, on the agenda that um, I'm going to have to come at right away. So you're looking, obviously, at the, at the protests. You're looking at a backlog of COVID-19 cases, also the court system will likely still not be uh, operating at, at full throttle on August 1st. I think that's probably pretty certain. Um, so there's just going to be a lot of challenges. The Multnomah DA's office is moving into a new courthouse. It's all kind of happening uh, at once. So I got to get right on top of that. So I'm putting together uh, at a faster pace um, a, a group of community leaders to, to help me and, and be a sounding board for some of those policies. But I intend to take still this next five uh, months once I get on the job to to still be thoughtful and and think about you know on January first what are the policies and how are they going to be implemented um, so I'm kind of looking at this as you know I'm going to get in there I'm going to be in a better position to learn how the office is currently operating what needs to to be changed and and things like that uh, and then still approach it after having a, a very thoughtful process with um, community members and community input like has never happened before in that office. Um, and, and then, you know, come at it that way. What is it going to take to impact the culture of the DA's office? And thinking about that culture, a culture, culture that supported your opponent, that has for decades in this county essentially just supported the next anointed senior prosecutor to maintain the culture of the office. Uh, and right now there is more than a moment that is saying we've got to disrupt some of those cultures. How do you go about, maybe that's even a bigger question that I should try to bite off in one question, but how do you go about changing that culture? Because it ain't just, we, we've switched out police chiefs. We have, a, have switched out eight police chiefs in since 2010. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean the culture of the Portland Police Bureau has changed eight times in the last 10 years. What do you got to do to impact that culture? Yeah. No, you're right. It, it, it's going to be... Uh, a learning experience uh, for for me, obviously, and for them as well. You know, when I was in that office, there were a lot of things that um, that I was never exposed to, uh, and that subsequently, after leaving, I was. So, for example, uh, going into prisons uh, and actually seeing where it is that we send people, going to the state hospital, seeing the services that are or are not provided to people when we send them down there for an aid and assist evaluation. I think some of it is just actually understanding what it is that we do when we sentence somebody. Um, so, you know, part of it, uh, my hope is to, is to be able to have some of those opportunities to kind of what I experienced, open uh, deputy DA's eyes. Their caseloads are huge. They're working all the time. And there's really not much time for reflection on, you know, how could we do this better? You know, that is, I think, a critical area 
um, that I need to try to create some space for. And my hope is that with given the exposure to some of these things um, and the opportunity to reflect and the invitation to, to reflect on these things and in this moment, um, you know, there are going to be some, some folks that are really ready to, to do things differently. And, and like I said, some of them have already reached out and, and have expressed as much. Another question for listener, what black indigenous people of color authors are you reading? What law professors, scholars do you follow? What systems or habits will you have in place to check your own biases? Yeah. Uh, well, right now I'm rereading uh, a book called um, So You Want to Talk About Race by uh, Aloha Ajioma. Um, I've looked at a bunch of other, uh, you know, I read all kinds of mainly criminal justice books. Michelle Alexander's uh, book, The New Jim Crow, was, uh, you know, has helped me a lot thinking about these issues. Um, Albert uh, Woodfox is a man who was held in solitary confinement for over 30 years in New Orleans, uh, in Angola. Uh, I am have read his book and intend to uh, reread that as well. Um, and then, you know, it's also talking with local community leaders, black leaders in our community who have been doing things, uh, working on these issues for years. I mean, Senator Frederick uh, is an amazing leader on these issues. He's been calling and sounding this alarm for a long time. Uh, you know, uh, Senator Aval Gordley and Margaret Carter and and uh, Matt, Pastor Matt Hennessy, you know, there are so many great leaders among us that, that I also um, am very fortunate to to have their cell phone numbers and, and be able to have conversations with them and, and go to them for advice. So it's, it's a combination of, of, of both. You know, I, I'm doing the work um, and continue to do the work to educate myself. Uh, and then once I get into the DA's office, it's going to be incumbent on me to, to build a staff that, that will account for my blind spots as a white cisgender male uh, with all the privilege that comes with that. Uh, to make sure that I put people around me that are going to see things uh, from a different angle that I might miss, is, as well-intended as I am and as, as much as I try to educate myself. You know, I'm always learning, and I'm always going to be, I'm always going to have blind spots. And so I need to put people around me that are going to help me uh, compensate for that as well. What priorities do you think ought to get done, could get done? I almost want to set aside could get done, but ought to get done in a week. They're having a special session. Originally, there's been talk of a special session from the governor for a while, but it was supposed to be just focused on COVID-19 and the budget. Now it's going to be focused at least in significant part on the exact topics that we're talking about, about manifesting Black Lives Matter in beyond signs and protests and moral outcry and also into legislation. What does the legislature need to get done in a week? You know, I think obviously first and foremost it's police reform. Uh, I support the uh, the POC caucus uh, that put out their recommendations of legislation they'd like to see. One of the things that they are calling for is something that uh, I brought up in the campaign, and that is we need independent investigations of officer-involved shootings and major use of force cases, uh, and that the Oregon Department of Justice is the right. Uh, institution to take those on. Um, they are not uh, dependent on or locally tied to or interact on a daily basis with local law enforcement. Um, they can come in and, and give some objectivity and not feel any kind of undue pressure to, to make decisions or, or handle cases in a certain way. Uh, and I think the community needs that uh, assurances and objectivity at this moment. So I, I fully support the POC's caucus call for that. Um, you know, uh, Senator Lou Frederick has another bill uh, on um, how we do arbitration 
uh, with the union. That seems absolutely crucial uh, at this moment. So, you know, some of the things that I'm seeing coming out uh, are, are really great, and I hope that we can get those done. And the things that are more complicated, um, I would like to see the legislature, uh, you know, vocally support, for example, um, eliminating cash bail. That's a hard thing to do statutorily. There are constitutional provisions that we should at least look at because they could be implicated. Uh, but we should have a commitment that that kind of a system that we know creates disparity, um, that they're going to come and take that back up in the long session, even though it's, it's a hard thing to do. So hopefully there will be some, some commitments and head nods to things that they want to get done in the long, but some short things, some short uh, things that they can do right now. Defund the police, a call that has been graffitied and written about that has been characterized and mischaracterized, that I will characterize as a push not only for reforms around the margins, but for transforming how resources are spent and transforming institutions fundamentally. What's your reaction? Yeah, I agree with your, I, I agree with that. I, I think that is what I see. You know, one of the, it was not called this, of course, um, but one of the earliest defund the police things that I've seen in our community was um, Commissioner Hardesty's uh, push with street routes to say, let's send out, um, you know, some mental health professionals to some of these nonviolent calls where it doesn't appear that there's any kind of a weapon involved uh, out in uh, in the Lentz area and say, hey, uh, we're not police officers. We're here to, to help you and get you services and not have to send police out. To me, that's like one of the, the earliest iterations we've seen in this community of, you know, what now is, I think, being called defund the police. But what I agree with your um, how you framed it, which is what how are we spending our resources uh, and in, and do we need to keep spending it the way we've been doing it? Or can we spend those things on uh, spend resources on other approaches um, to getting public safety? Um, so, you know, just a quick example, the um, it sounds like the city council uh, has or, or is about to defund the, the, gun, the gun violence reduction team. Uh, and, you know, one of the reasons that I think community members have pushed for that is because they've seen, you know, stop rates and, and the disparity in the uh, police stop rates um, generated by that, that unit. Uh, and that doesn't mean, so defunding that unit, saying we're not going to allocate resources towards that unit anymore, that doesn't mean the problem of gun violence or shootings in our community goes away. So my hope is that we say, okay, that wasn't the approach that the community wants. Let's think about using those resources in another way that is still going to get at what was the problem we're trying to solve. And there are some innovative programs that have been happening around the country uh, to work on just that specific issue. Um, there are programs, and I'm, I want to say Baltimore, I could be wrong about that, but uh, in other places where, you know, in fact, they're, they're hooking people up with resources. Um, they, they know, communities know who the people are that are most likely to be involved in gun violence. Let's get them resources. And, and I've even heard of giving people a small monthly stipend, uh, almost a paycheck, if you will, uh, to stay out of crime, to stay out of gun violence. And they've seen major reductions in, uh, in shootings locally. So, you know, I think that's the conversation that we need to have is we still have the same goals. How do we create more public safety? How do we reduce gun violence in our community? But we're having a conversation now about how the resources we're spending at this up to this point is that the best way to do it or should we reallocate those resources uh to other ways and, and the community is saying with defund the police uh, that they want to see those resources allocated in different ways to to achieve hopefully the same objectives 
Mike Schmidt, elected district attorney, soon to be district attorney in Multnomah County. Thank you so much for taking the time this morning, man. Yeah, absolutely, Jefferson. Good to talk to you, man. Yeah, let's do it again soon. Thanks to Ambush, Marceau, and Mike for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. If you got story ideas, organization needs shouts out, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. It's a good time to vote, by the way, in the Willamette Week Reader's Poll. You could vote for X-Ray as the best radio station if you so chose. You can also rate and review the podcast and share it with folks. Also want to let you know, on Friday is Juneteenth. It'll also be the fourth annual teach-in that X-Ray does, an all-day set of programming on social justice and anti-racism, and it'll culminate with a comedy show in the evening hosted by Minority Retort. You can tune into that on the X-Ray YouTube and Facebook channels. Let's stick together while we're apart, and thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.